So we are continuing this morning uh, in our teaching series called Come and See, where we're looking at this simple invitation uh, that Jesus offers, and also the disciples and early evangelists in the Gospel of John. I've shared that there were a, a couple of places uh, in the Gospel of John where we see this phrase, simply come and see. Often I think uh, when we think about inviting other people to, to church or, or sharing about our story of how Christ has impacted our life, like, you know, we can get a little nervous. We can, we can clam up a little bit. We can overthink it. Maybe that's just me. We can overthink it. Oh, good, thank you. And so this is a series for us to explore that sometimes it can be just as simple as come and see. Come and experience the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come and see the one who knew everything I ever did and still loved me. That was the powerful reminder Micah gave us last week, right? The first evangelist, one of the early evangelists, come and see. Come and see. So while we have been in the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to take a little sidestep to another uh, Gospel, which gives us another important invitation from Jesus that's along this same lines and in this same spirit. And we're going to turn this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, where we see Jesus, you shouldn't be surprised, are you ready? Invite the little children to come to him. He invites the children to come, and he blesses them and and invites them and centers them and in a way tells them let the children come to me come and see so i'm going to read for us matthew uh, chapter 18 if you all can believe it i know the scripture passage is only one slide today <laughs> right this is not what we do <laughs> this is not it's just six verses matthew 18 verses one through six let's see Let's, uh, let us see. Here we go. Where did it go? I was thinking maybe we could read this together this morning, like, like old times, since there's not 45 verses like Micah gave us last week. <laughs> All right, let's read together. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Covers a lot in six verses, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's this invitation of Jesus, of this teaching moment from the disciples, for the disciples, by Jesus, to let the children come to me. You know, I was thinking back this week, trying to recall the earliest memory I have of church, or of like the earliest I can possibly remember that I knew God loved me. Y'all knew I, y'all know I grew up in church down the street at Middletown United Methodist Church. So I was thinking back, and it was sort of these like fuzzy, foggy memories, but like the song, songs of VBS started coming back, right? So like Pharaoh, Pharaoh, 
Oh, no, got to let my people go. Woof, right? She knows it. She knew the, she knew the stat. Like, I, music. So there was that. And then there was, like, snack time with a, a pudding and a cone. Did you guys ever have that? Gross, right? <laughs> like, it gets all soggy. Why? Why? The pudding's great. Good stuff. Here for the pudding. But like, in a cone. It was easy, right, to give to all these little kids. So there was that. Then I have these memories of, of serving as an acolyte in my robe and, and carrying in the light. Um, and you'd walk down and carry the light of Christ in, light the candles, and then sit on the front row in front of everybody. We were balcony people. Like I sat, we sat really far away. So it was a really big deal. This is very memorable because I specifically remember my mother telling me, you may not lay down in the pew. No matter how boring the sermon is, Rachel. Because sometimes my partner acolyte named Chris, he laid down in the pew. And she would tell me, Rachel, you may not lay down in the pew. But I remember that. I knew that was an important job. Other sights and sounds, but mostly faces of people whom I remember who welcomed me and celebrated me, made me feel special. They were genuinely excited to see me every Sunday morning. I remember those faces and those greetings. It was those people who made sure that I felt welcomed and celebrated and loved. Even still to this day, if I walk into the doors at Middletown, I feel at home. It was a place where I always felt safe and loved, and it was home. Friends, I'm convinced that welcoming and caring for children is vital to the mission of the church. Welcoming and caring for and nurturing in the faith and advocating for and protecting, vital for the mission of the church. And we know this, we know this, because it is the model and action we see in Jesus Christ himself, who invited children to come who made space for them. Even in the Gospel of Mark, when the disciples are trying to like keep the crowds at bay and keep the children away and not let anybody near Jesus, he, he said, no, 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 let, let the children come to me. He centered them. He made space for them. He welcomed them. And in the Gospel of Mark, he scoops them up and he blesses them. In this Gospel, he uses them as sort of an illustration But in other occurrences, you see this blessing upon them. So our passage this morning, back to the Gospel of Matthew, begins with a question that we've heard from the disciples before. Who is to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We see this pop up in lots of the different gospel stories. And here in Matthew, they're they're traveling along and some of the disciples are trying to sort of get a grip or or fathom what is this kingdom going to be like that Jesus is speaking of. This is the Messiah, the one that we've waited for. We know that he's come. And in this sort of ancient militaristic victory, you know, you think Roman culture, they're like, when are we going to win? When are we going to feel triumphant? When will we get the glory? And they ask him, how? How? How can we do that? Who? is to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's Jesus who then calls a child who, I don't know, maybe had been around in the crowds or traveling with them, and he puts the child right in front of them and says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom that I am bringing. 
whoever humbles himself like this child. Now, I'm willing to bet that most of us in this room have heard a sermon or two about having faith like a child. Yes? Like childlike faith. We think of all the things that we celebrate about childhood, about their, their preciousness, right? These little angels. I refer to Andrew as my little baby dreamboat. <laughs> it's a sweet little baby, you know, just content as can be most of the time. Most of the time. We think of the innocence of children or the imaginations and creativity of children, sort of the messiness and fun of being, uh, of, uh, of being sort of free and carefree and all of these attributes of being a child. We think of the three-year-old who, who asks a million questions. Why, Mommy? Why, Mommy? Why? We think of their curiosity and their imagination, and, and we say, oh, to have a childlike faith means to leave room for such you know, sort of questioning, to leave room for doubt, to, to rely on God as our great parent who will always care for us and always provide for us and will always feel safe with God, our parent. And all of that is true. God is all of those things for us. And that is one way that we can humble ourselves and approach God, our Father, right? The one who can bless and comfort us in times of sorrow and grief. All of those things are good and true, but it's not exactly what Jesus is going for here in that illustration. Yes, but there's more kind of thing. That's not exactly what Jesus was intending in this particular passage in Matthew 18. No, he says, unless you become like children, this child, in fact, that he's apparently brought before them, unless you become like this child, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here, Jesus is talking about humility, to humble yourself, to become like a child. And so it's important for us to understand that in the ancient world, they saw and dealt with children differently than we do today. You know, we think of them as being sort of the centers of our family and life to be celebrated and, you know, just, man, we had a birthday party yesterday for that, Andrew. You should have seen it. To be celebrated, to be surrounded by such love. He was the center of our little world. Uh, you know, we have, we have very sort of high, um, high perspective, a high, high humanity, if you will, I mean, of children and the place that they are in our lives. They're treasured. They're little gifts from heaven. They're cherished by many. That's not how they were seen in the ancient world. Now, in fact, in the first century Judaism, children were regarded as inferior, without status or rights. They were honestly treated more like property than people. They were certainly, certainly never held up as a model for anything as Jesus does here takes a child, puts it in front of them as a model. Certainly, we're never considered uh, some, something to emulate. In some languages, including in the Greek, which is the New Testament, of course, is written, the word for child is, is neither masculine or, or feminine, but neuter. The child wasn't a he or a she, but simply an it. N.T. Wright says the child in this story is thought of as it, as a thing, as property, not as person, not as someone with moral agency, not as someone to be cared for within your household. 
And in fact, as you see throughout uh, the early ancient history, as Christianity took over more and, and became more influential, uh, the perspective and care for children actually changed as well. The way that culture even saw and cared for children really after this teaching of Christ right here. At that time, though, children were not seen as status or worth. They were valued only for their future economic contribution that they could provide as workers. Their main task was to prepare for adult life. Now it's also our task as parents today to prepare our children to be ready for adult life. But do you hear the difference? They were seen completely different at the time. Children were far from the center of the world, uh, the world of the family. And bringing a child to stand before his disciples to demonstrate how we must enter the kingdom of God, it means to become like this one, to humble yourself to the point of the lower status, no status, no power, no rights. This shouldn't surprise us, maybe as a follower of Jesus Christ who chose, who, who, you know, chose to enter the world in a humble way, taking on vulnerability to become like a child, to become a child born to a poor family in a backwoods town. This shouldn't surprise us. But we also know that in the Gospel of Matthew, this is not the only time that Jesus will identify himself or his mission with those who are marginalized, with those who are vulnerable, with those who are on the outskirts. And it won't be the last time that he will say, if you welcome one like this, you will also welcome me. We see this all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. When he says, if you feed the hungry, if you clothe those who are in need, if you, if you care for the sick, and the prisoner, and the widow, and the orphan, you will do that for me. Matthew 18, 5, in our passage, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the pattern that we see all throughout the gospel of Matthew, but truthfully, all throughout the gospel in general of who Jesus is is and who he chooses to to center to identify with to stand in solidarity with the people who were overlooked and and set aside not given status or worth and power in the world of the day and he says this this is what it means to be a part of my kingdom it's like he's saying to the disciples so you want to be great you ask me how how to be great you want to be great then love the little ones, the little guys, the underdogs, the outcasts. Little one here can refer to all of those things. You want to be great, Jesus says? Prove it. Prove it by how you treat the, the poor and the homeless. Prove it by the compassion that you have for single parents. Prove it with your radical kindness for the immigrant and the refugee. Prove it in the way that you combat the powers of sin and evil that are still at work in this world. Prove it in your unwillingness to treat anyone, anyone as less than a child of God who is a person of worth and dignity. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. It's simple, and yet it's all-consuming here. Welcoming and caring for the little ones, 
in every sense is the mission of the church. It is vital to our mission. It is the mission. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus has called us to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And not just that we can punch our ticket and get in kind of thing, but that's the kind of kingdom that God is building. The upside down makes no sense. Everyone is equal. Today is clearly a big day in the life of the Wallace family and Peters and Walton and everyone else who's here, who's a part of our family unit. This is clearly a big day uh, in the life of our family, Andrew's baptism, and I'm so grateful to celebrate that with all of you all. When I was thinking about this day, I knew that I wanted Mark to be here to preside over uh, the baptism because of the spiritual mentor, of course, that he's been and who he is to our family I knew that I wanted him to be here, but also because that meant that I could be mom in that moment. As United Methodist Church, we celebrate infant baptism as a celebration of God's love and as a recognition of the outpouring of God's grace upon Andrew's life. And every single child that comes to this font, before they're even aware, we celebrate that God loves them and God claims them and grace is already at work in their life even before they can utter many words, lots of words. Through this gift of baptism, we believe that a child has become initiated into the family of God and is now a member of this body of Christ, a member of our household of faith. Andrew is now our brother. So it's not every day that as a mom, I get to say that my son has now become my brother. He is my brother in Christ. But today I knew I needed to approach these waters of baptism as mom. As excited and nerdy and dorky as I get when I start talking about grace and baptism, just ask Sadie. We're doing confirmation right now, and that was last week's lesson. She knows I get super nerdy when we start talking about all the different ways we can experience God's grace. I love this as your pastor, but I knew this morning I knew that I needed to approach these waters of baptism as mom. I knew that I needed to stand here with my husband, with Matt, and confess our sins and profess again my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I knew that I needed to say that this child, our child, is no longer ours, but God's. You know, we have this image in baptism of joining Christ in his death and resurrection. Uh, and you kind of see it more if you, if you do full submersion, right? We sort of die with Christ, dunk them under completely, and they're raised again to new life. You put them in white clothes. They're considered a, in a bonnet. <laughs> they're considered new creations, uh, identified with Christ, right? In order to, to be resurrected with Christ, to be glorified with Christ, we've got to die with Christ, There's powerful imagery there that we have to die to our own identities, our own selfishness in order to be raised again to new life. So as mom, this is sort of a weird thing, right? But the death per se is not, you know, of Andrew's own sin and selfishness and ego yet. He'll profess these things on his own one day at confirmation. No, the death that Matt and I recognize this morning 
is the one of our own plans and our own dreams and our own expectations over this child. As a parent, that's hard, right? Of not your way, not my way, oh God, but yours be done. Not my will be done and my dreams and my hopes of everything he might be and who he might, you know, what he might accomplish. We have a kind of a, a phrase in our house that Matt and I say, you, you know, as long as you are kind. <laughs> like we want to raise him to be kind and decent, but anything else that he decides to be and do in this life, we're trying to have the faith and the grace to love him for who he is. A death to my own plans, my own dreams, my own expectations. And instead a surrender to say, Holy Spirit, may your will be done and not my own. This is not an easy thing to do, of course, which is why we also stand here and ask for your help. All of you that have gathered here, all of you that are watching, all of you that consider yourself part of this community of faith and the village that raises up our kids here in the faith, you have a role to play. I have neither the wisdom nor the power to do that on my own. And yes, I'm saying that as your pastor, that I can't raise that child in the faith on my own. I need your help. That's the most powerful part of our baptism liturgy for me is to then covenant together all of us to say, yes, we are going to love him. We are going to pray for him. We're going to teach him about Jesus' love. We're going to teach him about what it means to love other people because God loves him. You're going to teach him to live into those vows that Matt and I confessed again before you, to resist evil in all of its forms, to claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I need your help in showing him that way. He is no longer ours, but God's. He is no longer mine alone or Matt's alone, but yours. He's now yours, too. And I need your help. Welcoming and caring for the little ones in every sense of that word is vital to the mission of the church. There are already many ways that we do this. When we think about, you know, little ones, not in terms of kids, but kind of the way that Jesus meant it in its full meaning here throughout the Gospel of Matthew, there are many ways that we seek to be a place that is welcoming, that is safe, that is caring for the least of these whether it's through our homeless outreach, whether it's through our mission partnerships, whether it's through support of our food pantry, there are always ways that we can improve, right? There are always ways that we can be more welcoming in this sense to care for and center the little ones, the underdogs of our world. And as the Holy Spirit prompts you, come and talk to me about it. Come and talk to one of our ministry leaders. How can we be living into this mission even more? There are already many ways that we do this, that we clear the way to let the little ones come and see Jesus Christ who takes away the sins of the world. But when it comes to welcoming and nurturing kids, there are also some things that we need in this household of faith. To be a family that raises up our kids, the next generation, they are the current church, but to raise them up in the faith, to profess these things, to know that God loves them, and to teach them to love others. We each have a role to play. You just said the words, so just you, you've already made the covenant, so I got you on the hook now. 
Sorry, you, we, did it, we did it first. <laughs> you have a role to play in raising up Andrew, your brother in Christ, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Every other child in this church, whether they've formally been baptized or not, if they're a part of our household of faith, everybody who's approached these waters, honestly, no matter what age, whether you profess and confess it on your own or whether you come through confirmation or you come as an older child or an infant, we covenant to support them and nurture them in the faith. You have a role to play. So what's the ask? Here's what we need. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. Here's what we need. We need teachers. We need, yeah. You know, right now during our Revolution Kids where they go up and have a lesson, in the fall we are anticipating a new little influx of some new kindergartners who will be graduating from Little Peeps to go to our Revolution Kids, and we need to separate those ages. We need two classes, and we need more teachers to make that happen. If we have the more that we have, the less frequently you have to do it. Think about it that way. <laughs> right now, we have once a month rotation. Our current teachers serve once a month. But I'll tell you, those teachers are also doing a lot of other things, like running slides, and like working video, and like working with our youth. There are lots of things that those teachers are already doing. So in order to expand it in the fall, we need you. We need more. We also need just general volunteers, people who are willing to build relationships with our kids so that they can help out for special events like Palm Sunday celebrations or VBS field days or movie nights or all of these cool things that Mike and I have dreamt up that we can't do on our own. We just need general volunteers who are willing to show up and build relationships with our young people. And not just the parents in the room, right? The whole point of us saying this is like, I need more than just me to raise Andrew. So we can't just rely on the current parents. But I will vouch for all of them. Our kids are really cool. Like, they are really fun. We haven't heard the stampede much this morning. But you know, they are, they are full of energy and full of life. The parents know that well as they're sipping their coffee and trying to stay awake. They know, which is why they need your help. They need your help. We also just need folks that will care for our babies. Do you know we are always hiring new Little Peeps workers? But did you know that it doesn't necessarily have to be a female who is college age to be employed, like high school to college age, to, to work with our kids that are five and under? Did you know that? It could be any one of you volunteering. Well, yeah. You want to hold the babies. Hold the babies for an hour, one Sunday morning, once a quarter. You all have the power within you. It doesn't have, if you do happen to know of other high school to college age workers who could serve, great, send them our way. But it could also be you serving in our nursery. Honestly, something all of you all can do is just to show up and bless them. Be that face that's excited to see them. Be that face that calls them by name, who knows their name, knows where they go to school, knows what they do for fun. Ask them about it on a Sunday morning. Those faces that I was recalling from my childhood church, be that person for some of our kids that are here. Ask them how they are doing. Ask them about their band concert last week or their softball game last weekend. Show up for their choir concert. We had a whole house group that showed up for a middle school choir concert last week. 
None of them had a child themselves in it except the one from the house group. We had a lot of people at a first birthday party yesterday that showed up, and they were there to celebrate our Andrew, right? Show up, bless them, love them, be that face that they will remember, and above all, pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray that they would grow and know that God loves them. The world is rough out there. (laughs) Y'all know that, right? Like, I feel like this is a mark that I'm getting older when I say that, like, man, it's gotten worse, right? Like, when I was in middle school and high school, was it that bad? It was, but it's almost worse now. That makes me sound older, doesn't it? Shh. (laughs) Mark. They need us. They need to know other people love them and are for them and are rooting for them. And in doing that, we are showing them Jesus. We are showing them God's love for them. And lastly, invite. That's what this whole series is about, to come and see that simple invitation. I know that you all know a family who is struggling right now. The pandemic has been hard. We are not meant to do this alone, and yet we've been forced to. Many parents are exhausted. We're at our end. We're burnt out, and we need help. I know that you know someone in your life who's feeling that way, and I would love for them to come and experience this family where they get to go upstairs and not be taught by a parent, and the parent can, if they just need to sit in the back and sleep, that's okay. Amen. Amen. (laughs) She's awake. All right. She had some of Vance's coffee this morning. I know that you know somebody who needs to experience this, who needs to know the love of a church family. Invite them. Invite them to come and see. Invite them to check out some of our summer fellowship events that we'll have. I know that you can be a blessing as you invite others and bless them, as we invite our little ones in all the sense of the word, but especially the little ones that have been entrusted to our care here. We need you. You have a role to play. Let me know. (laughs) Pray about it. I look forward to hearing from you in the week to come. (laughs) Let us pray. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for who you are and for how you're at work in our lives. Thank you especially for the gift of a church family that reminds us throughout the generations, someone here of every age, that we were not meant to walk this journey of faith alone. God, I thank you for the gift that it is to be in community, to have other people that show up for your kid and show them, God, show them the love of Jesus and to nurture them so that they may walk in a way that truly does lead to eternal life. God, I pray that you would just continue to be at work in this church and in this family. Would you give us the courage that we need to maybe respond to a new way that we could serve and love the little ones that you've entrusted to us? Help us to to know that we are capable and that we have a, a job to play in helping our kids feel safe and welcomed and loved in a world that seems to be growing harsher and more critical. Would you help us create that safe and loving environment here? We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.